Welcome to Conversations with Bob and Sherry. Hi, Hi Sherry. Bob. What are we talking about today? Well, first of all, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope all hmm. our viewers had a good Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, so I just want to get through a couple headlines. I know we want to talk about inflation and you have a lot of material prepared. So let me just get through a few headlines that's, cons that's related to the inflation. Number one, uh, over Thanksgiving weekend, we found out the Biden administration has given Chevron permit to restart drilling in Venezuela and um, to basically have you restart their oil cells. And just understand that uh, Trump administration sanctioned Venezuela for their dictatorship government and a humanitarian reason. Um, the other headline is looming right now is December 9th is the deadline for the railroad uh, negotiation. And so um, let me just read you the two headlines. Uh, in This is in September of 2020, September 12, 2022. And this is uh, from, I'll post this online. So, uh, you know, our Facebook page and everybody can see it. On September, uh, September 12, 2022, it says the White House is racing to prevent a railroad strike, worker strike, fearing it could cripple the economy and hurt Democrats in the midterm. That was September 12, 2022. Uh, as of yesterday or a couple of days ago, this is from New York Times headline. It says Biden says congressional leaders must act to prevent railroad strikes. So this is post midterm. And of course, we will be talking about the uh, widespread protests in China. So that's that's pretty much what we're going to be talking about that's related to inflation. Okay, very good. Um, well, let's start with uh, the Chevron deal. So I looked at, wanted to see what some of the background and history was and, you know, to, to be able to sift through the headlines. And what had happened was, um, you know, Chevron was working with the uh, oil company in Venezuela that became state-run, and then they they pretty much uh, sanctioned Chevron to, you know, they had to pull out of Venezuela. So uh, European countries in the U.S. were sanctioning Venezuela, but uh, Iran and Russia are supporting Venezuela. So the situation is continuing to erode in Venezuela, and it's primarily due to inflation, which is a little segue, but uh, so this, the conditions now, uh, Chevron is allowed to go back in and, and start drilling and producing oil. They are not allowed to give any money to the state-run uh, oil company, PDVSA, and there, no money is allowed to go to any Iranian or war, uh, Russian companies, only American companies. And they're limited to sending the oil that they produce to the USA. Hmm. So even though the, the Biden administration says this has nothing to do with our need for our gas prices and our need for more oil, it, it certainly does. I mean, um, but let me ask you this. You just said that they're not allowed. They're not allowed to send any oil they produce to the USA. No, they're only allowed to send it to the only USA. allowed. They okay. can't send it anywhere else. And you're saying that they're also they're not going to be allowed to pay any money to the state-owned oil company in Venezuela. Right, right. In fact, that oil company owes that. That was a joint venture prior between Chevron and PDVSA. Okay. And they're not allowed to bet now. PDVSA apparently owes Chevron billions of dollars. They have debt okay. to Chevron. So they're allowed to pay Chevron, but Chevron's not allowed to do anything to benefit them financially. Well, you know, that's all well and good, but how are we going to track exactly where the money is going, how much oil was drilled, and how is, you know, where are they sending it to? Is yeah. there any, like, anything in place for that? I don't know. I mean, other than normal accounting, records and things that the companies keep. I, I don't know if there's anything special. Yeah, that's like the Iran deal with a nuclear weapon, mm -hmm. you know. So we made a deal so, with them. We hand them a lot of money, and then we don't – and the next thing we know, we, we, we can't even go inspect the site. 
Now, what precipitated this is um, the Maduro regime agreed to meet with the opposition folks and try to hash out some cooperation. They actually had a meeting in Mexico City at the same time that Biden announced that we would allow Chevron to go back in. Uh -huh. So what's going on is Venezuela has billions of dollars in international banks that have been frozen by the U.S. and European governments. So these are banks, you know, American banks, European banks. So we froze their assets so they can't access their money. The Maduro, Maduro regime met with the opposition leaders in Mexico City, and they have a, they're asking the U.N., United Nations, to oversee a fund to help. Venezuela. So they want the United Nations to say, okay, we're going to set up a fund, and that's only going to be used for food, health care, and infrastructure to help ease the suffering of the Venezuelan people. And so, but they want this money that's frozen to do it. So what they're hoping is they can convince the U.S. and Europe to allow the U.N. to now divvy out this money to uh, Venezuela for these particular humanitarian needs. But wasn't the, the frozen the asset and tried to squeeze them um, is to squeeze Maduro government out of power. And right. And then when because when people hit rock bottom, it's kind of like what happened in China right now. Everybody rises, even though there's a danger to their life. But that was the whole point of it all. So, if, yeah. you know, if we give them give them a lifeline and that government will still be in place if we still have the dictatorship in place. So it's not helping to um, for at the end of the day, it's not going to help the people. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, and I think a lot of Americans are going to be skeptical of the U.N. being sort of the overseer. You know, there's Absolutely. a lot of international corruption. Right. But here's an interesting piece I found in the, in the Washington Post. What they're reporting is when Biden campaigned, he was critical of Trump sanctions um, in Venezuela, but he never changed them. And they're saying he didn't change them because the Democrats didn't want to alienate the Venezuelan and other Latin American immigrants come election time. <laughs> okay, because for those people, they're very much anti Maduro government. So even though Biden criticized Trump, he never did anything. And they they Washington Post was saying that's because they were worried about the Hispanic vote. Well, now that the midterms have ended, the Democrats didn't get the Hispanic vote that they uh -huh. wanted. I mean, in Florida, it went to Republicans. Right. So, you know, that kind of ruins that. So so now they're they're I guess they're going ahead and, and uh, helping what they say, the uh, Venezuelan people, that's how they're trying to sell it. That's one of the reasons it's very critical for them to say this is only to benefit the people and not the government. And a part of that is for the his Hispanic voter here in the U.S. Well, once the money flows into countries like Venezuela, like, you know, right now we'll keep sending money to Ukraine, we have no idea where this money is going to. We have no idea who's benefiting it. And it just, you know... There was a reason why these countries were sanctioned, and I think Trump sanctioned them hard. I mean, look what has happening to Putin, right? When right. we started producing our own oil, selling our natural gas to the European countries, they're not depending on Putin, and Putin lost his lifeline. And the minute mm -hmm. we open that up for Putin, which the Biden administration opened up for Putin, he has money to fight his war. And as right now, as of right now, we are still buying oil from Russia. We're still purchasing European countries still buying oil from Russia. So they're handing Putin money to fight Ukraine. They're, they're, and then we're handing Ukraine money to defend Russia. Right. I mean, this could be this whole situation could have been completely avoided. Yeah, I mean, if uh, uh, we got into the Ukraine thing, I mean, you know, the, the U.S. and Europe from the time of, you know, Germany's reunification, they they made a commitment to Russia that there would never be NATO in Ukraine and, and those border countries. And mm -hmm. then they, you know, starting, I think, with Obama, they started to change that rhetoric. And, you know, that that's what uh Putin claims is a major contributor to his decision there. Yeah, 
it's, I mean, it seems like everything is political. You know, if you look at those two headlines in September, where the White House is racing to prevent a railroad strike. Now, after the midterm, he's like, okay, it's the Congress problem. You guys take care right. of it. Well, I mean, you know, elections are so frequent in the U.S. and the American mm-hmm. people are so polarized that, yeah, I mean, everything, every single thing that, you know, the White House does and even Congress is there's political motivation. You can't avoid it. There's a big politics behind every decision, every action. Right. And coming off of Thanksgiving, you know, this is all contribute to the inflation. Um, we went to get turkey from Aldi's. Um, you know, last year turkey was ninety nine cents a pound. This year was dollar seventy nine, so right. almost doubled. Um, and uh, sweet peppers. You know, I mean, the, I go shopping for grocery, and we go to Aldi's, and you can see how the prices all change. Uh, uh, a jar of prune, dry prune, went from three thirty six now to five forty three, <laughs> not to be specific, but. Um, yeah, I mean, everything has gone up so much. Um, so, now, do you do grocery shopping at your house or your wife does? I do, yeah. And, you know, I don't. I, I definitely notice the turkeys because Giant Eagle used to have spend $25 on groceries. You get like a 69 cents a pound turkey. They didn't have any special this time, and I think I paid $1.69 a pound this year. Okay, okay. Yeah, so... so. The inflation is definitely there, and then with, and then our diesel shortage, be, it, that doesn't help the farmers yeah. and the ranchers. So that helped, you know, they increase the cost of meat. And I think everybody kind of know, um, but this railroad strike is going to be devastating to the, oh, even yeah. if they were shut down for one to two days, I think it would be devastating. So Well, you know, uh, the government actually has the power to, order them not to strike and that's what biden is now talking about so before the election he was very supportive of the unions now that the midterms are over and he knows that a a, a strike would be devastating to the country and to him uh, so congress has certain powers and so does the president to uh, force them to go back to work and you know he's exercising that now Oh, well, then that's, you know, buyer's remorse, right? (laughs) (laughs) Same thing with the student loans. Everybody thought their student loan would would be forgiven. And now it's, now we're going to have a new Congress coming in and, you know. Well, and they knew that. I mean, you know, they, they, the Biden and the Democrats, they knew that that was unconstitutional. So, but they were just buying votes. It doesn't matter. It's like using the media, reporting things that you know will never amount to anything, like the documents. I, I would bet anyone that those documents at Mar-a-Lago, that's just going to go away someday. It's not going to amount to anything. But they get the benefit of having that in the news all the time and having their people, oh, he has top-secret documents. He did all this horrible stuff. And in the end, it's nothing. You watch, it'll turn out to be nothing again. And that happened to – they did that right before the midterm as well. Right. Oh, that was all calculated. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The, so, the, the January um, 6th hearings, the, the Mar-a-Lago raid, all of that was a calculated Democrat strategy towards the election. And that's part of what the uh, Republicans are now investigating. I've heard some people criticize the Republicans for investigating. And, you know, I get they were, you know, the Hunter Biden laptop. But the issue of politicizing Department of Justice and misusing, you know, government you know, law enforcement and things for political purposes. That's very important. I think that has to be investigated. Well, no, I think the Hunter Biden laptop should be investigated because, you know, we're talking, if you look at the Biden uh, White House policy towards China, towards Russia, <clears throat> you have to be skeptical of why every policy is benefiting Russia is benefiting China um, at the end of the day. It's not benefiting us at all, <laughs> you know. Sure. Why do we have that um, issue? And um, especially with the protests in China, interestingly, these protests has been going on for a couple weeks, I believe. And then the lockdown is so extreme. Um, Ten people were burned to death 
at this we the in the Uyghur among the Uyghur people, um, mm -hmm. they are already being condemned in China and being tortured and sent to basically they call the education camp, but it's essentially a concentration camp. Mm -hmm. But you don't see any public condemnation to that from United States. No. And no celebrity is out there screaming and saying this is this is wrong. I don't see any major news network even barely reporting it. And when they report it, it's so interesting to me because if this was happened in United States, if this is a Republican president, even remotely something like this happened, I'm sure it will be in a 24-7 news cycle and the the anchors and the commentaries will be extremely critical of what happened, but it's fairly silent. Yeah. I mean, they're actually, of uh, the news that I hear, they're actually somewhat uh, complimentary of the zero COVID policy. So, you know, they don't criticize what is actually behind all this and causing it, which is the strict government policy still on COVID. And, and, and so, I mean, if they don't compliment it, they kind of treat it as matter of fact. The people are upset because of China's zero COVID policy. And then they go and tell you how some of that was a success and how they did such a great thing over here. But I mean, part of the problem is that the zero COVID policy prevents a lot of the population from ever being exposed, so they never develop immunities. It's a trap, you know? I mean, we have, uh, you know, vaccine immunity, and we have natural immunity. So uh, countries like the U.S., you know, as the virus evolves to be less severe and the humans evolve to develop more natural immunity to it, that's where you get to where we are now, where a president says COVID's over. But in China, it's not may not be over. It may actually be that they're more susceptible to it because they've been so strict. I think people overlook why they are so strict with the and with the zero COVID policy. Because we grew, I grew up in China, and my father's generation, my grandfather's generation. You have to understand, China was a poor country. You talk about viruses and sickness and. This is not the first time China had a virus that spread over the country. Why is it that no one ever cared about it before and say, and especially with China, we have 5,000 years of developed herbal remedies and you know home remedies, and you have the Western medication. The, the, the medical field has never been so available to the Chinese people, and Deadly viruses in China has happened over thousands of years. And in recent history, I remember when I was in grade school, I was sick all the time. And they were trying to, you know, they don't have e even the medication to cure you. So you just have to get over it. Why is it this time around they're locking everybody down? I think people overlook the political, the politics behind it. You know, when Xi Jinping announced that he is the president for life, there's a lot of opposition. And in order to control the population, COVID is nothing but a way to control the population. But I think he went a little bit too far. You know, people's livelihood are impacted. And, you know, when people are dying, jumping off buildings, and kids can't get their medication, and they well down your door. Can you imagine if a government come to your house right now because your phone shows are red and then they well your door and you cannot go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Now, it, it's, isn't it true that then uh, the, uh, I don't know what his title is, chairman of the party or whatever, Xi Jinping, mm -hmm. um, they had term limits, right? And this latest election, he defied that. And as he you did. say, declared himself the premier for life or what is his title? He well, essentially, he is the president of president. China, but he is the, also the the top chairman of the Communism Party. Right. So, um, prior to him, it actually started with Deng Xiaoping, and it was a ten-year term. So, after ten years, Deng, the 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 person, the president, will appoint a successor. 
So it's not through election. He will he will select a successor usually about two three years before, and then this person will start showing up in the in the meetings with the the current president, and then the power will hand down. So that's that's what's been happening in the past. Um, okay. But I think a couple things. Xi Jinping really wants some kind of legacy and taking Taiwan back. It's part of his agenda, and I think that until that happens, he does not want to pass it on to another person. Um, and so he uh, he has incorporated a lot of extreme policies, and some of the people in China are actually saying this is worse than Cultural Revolution because during the Cultural Revolution, it was people fighting each other. But now it's just the government came down and suppressed the population. The young people in China, because the the information technology, um, you know, they understand the Western way of life, and they crave that they want it. So it's different from back in the Cultural Revolution days. The young people blindly just trusted the government, and then start to condemn, you know, the older. Tradition. Sound familiar? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hey, you know, people in America blindly trusting the government. Is there any chance that these protests are going to have any sort of influence on Xi Jinping in the government direction, or are they just going to get squashed? Well, you know, this is very. This is actually. I actually was very emotional this morning watching um, the protests. I, I think number one, people have to understand there's. 100 over 180 million cameras in China. They're everywhere. So the people rise into protest. They know their life. They are putting their life on the line. Even they're masking themselves and they put these white papers out. So they spread from Shanghai to Beijing to Shenzhen to Hong Kong. Um, would it change his mind whether it's going to be squad or not? He has complete power over the police and the military. So my fear is that eventually people are going to die. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember Tiananmen Square where yeah. the student was protesting for weeks and weeks and with a hunger strike and um, eventually the tanks start to rolling out. So yep. um, that's my fear. That's what's going to happen. He's not going to admit defeat or he's not going to apologize. That's just not the way of the Chinese government. Mm -hmm. So eventually those kind of tactic is going to come out. And that just makes me very sad because I remember um, when I was in Hong Kong, it was under the British rule. There was a million people march in support of the Beijing students. And we were able, had the freedom to march and express ourselves and and actually, the school all announced that you guys have a day off, go out and march and protest and peaceful protest. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that makes me sad that at some point, I'm a, my fear is a tank's going to start coming out and they're just going to shut the camera down and people are they're going to start shooting. That's essentially what happened in Tiananmen Square. They mm -hmm. got rid of all the cameras and then the military came in. They just randomly start shooting their own civilians. Um, so that's probably what's going to happen. Now, I'm hoping that's the reason I think is. It's interesting to me, our media is now reporting that because that show, that will show the young people in this country, the ones that really want socialism, communism, that oh, is okay with um, squashing the freedom of speech because they don't agree with it. Maybe they can kind of see what really happens in a country that implements all those policies. Eventually you have a you know dictatorship government. So thankfully we have a Republican Congress, we have a Democratic Senate, we have a Democratic um, president, and we still have Supreme Court. And maybe people will look at our country structure and say, wow, it is a great check and balances. Not one person have the power. I mm -hmm. think we, we almost at that point um, 
during this midterm, right? We were if we were if the Republican lose the House, you essentially have one party rule, right. and and Which that's you had kind before of before the election, right? Yeah. So um, I'm hoping that will wake up some of the younger people and say, "Wow, is this mm -hmm. what one government sensitive sensitizing?" And if you think about it. You know, those people are peacefully protest because um, during the Trump administration, you remember there was protesting in Hong Kong. A lot of students were protesting, flying the American flag. And essentially, those students were arrested. And we don't know where they're at. Most likely, they're in a labor camp in China. Um, and versus in our country, the kids are out there, the Antifas, and, you know, they were out there banging on drums in neighborhoods, destroying storefronts. And there, there was actually a law protecting, and it was a violent protesting, right? So mm -hmm. versus peaceful protesting, people were arrested and thrown into camp. I mean, a lot to think about, you know? I mean, it, it's going to depend uh, how uh, young people here view it is going to depend on how it's reported. I mean, if exactly. it's report, it could easily be reported as like when we had COVID going on here. Anyone who protested restrictions, mass vaccines, were treated as extremists and anti-science, and you know, so they were the bad guy, and the government were the good guy. Um, I mean, if they run that sort of narrative through China, I think it's a little harder sell. But people believe what they want to believe. Well, the difference is um, when you have people, young or old, living under the regime of, under the Chinese regime, and and China is a communism government, but extremely capitalistic economy, right? Mm -hmm. So there is no such a thing as months of unemployment. If you don't have a job, you don't have a job. I mean, there's very little social program to help those who doesn't have a job. So people can't afford not to work. Well, there used to be social programs, weren't there? No, it's never a social program. It What it is, is the government owned everything. There was no private enterprise. So essentially, your housing, your food, your clothing, everything you have is being distributed by the government. So that was equality. So everyone right. had the same outcome. Um, so... That wasn't necessarily a social program. It just the fact that the government owned everything, including well, you. I mean, I think it's the social program taken to the extreme, isn't it? Because you don't have to pay for your housing because the government provides it. The right. government is providing you with food. That's how it was. In fact, I re recall, wasn't the one-child rule, if you violated the one-child rule, you were disqualified from all that. You didn't get free housing. You didn't get food. That's that's what I was told in the 90s. Well, no. Um, so, I, well, I told you when I was born, I was homeless. My family, were, my parents were punished because they weren't supposed to get married. And mm -hmm. the government would tell you who you should marry. <clears throat> so they marry each other. The government said, well, you marry the wrong person. So you don't get housing. That has right. changed. Okay. Yeah, that changed in the 70s, you know, towards the late 70s when Deng Xiaoping took over. So now that uh, my mother worked for the bus factory, my dad worked for a bicycle factory, so everybody gets housing. Um, er, you know, tr every essentially you work for the government and the government will divvy up and say, okay, you get this, you get this, you get that. Um, yeah. I remember they give you clothing stamps. And you can go to a department store. If you use a clothing stamp to buy a shirt, it costs more costs more stamps to buy just a raw material. You can come home, make your own clothes. Um, I know it's very hard for Americans to imagine that even happens. The government says, you know, you're allowed to buy this much fabric. Uh, here's what what you have to do with it, but well, and then that has to, um, go ahead. Well, I mean, I was going to say one. I don't think what what people here in the U.S. don't understand is for a socialist Marxist, you know, this 
vision of everybody being equal and right. you know all these you know redistribution and people given the basic needs and you know leveling the playing field the only way you can do that is if you have somebody in charge controlling absolutely every aspect of life that's so exactly you have to have a king you have to have an authoritarian totalitarian government you know party or group because human beings are never going to self-regulate like that right so they they say well we're not for that we're just for this but there's no way you can achieve your vision without right. an authoritarian all powerful government to, I'll give to, you a perfect to decide example. who gets what right i'll give you a perfect example so we living in the bus factory apartment complex there's like seven buildings or no there are five buildings so um at the end of the 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 row there's a little cafeteria the cafeteria is owned by the bus factory and every morning you go to the cafeteria you get to they will ration you or give distribute to you x amount of um food so every family gets x amount of food by the government Okay. Now, if you mm -hmm. want to buy, like, I, I remember this clearly because once in a while they'll have uh, smelts. It's like a little fish, fried little fish. Right. Now, if you want that, then you have to pay for it. So you take, it's not that it doesn't cost that much because the government regulates how much money you can charge for everything. So if you go to a private farmer and they come in, they say, okay, I want to buy celery. Those prices were publicized daily basis. You can only charge X amount of dollar for salary or carrots or whatever. And so I remember I took a dollar to go buy smelts and smelts at the time only cost 10 cents. I lost a dollar and I, that dollar meant a hundred dollars for my family. So it, I, I was severely punished, but we only got what we got. So, so that's how it worked. In at the time and when I was scoring well, now it got better as we you know moved to Hong Kong and then China start open up and then they start joint venture with foreign investments to create semi private industry, and that has been happening. So as the in, as more and more people, as the economy become more and more capitalistic, the government is taking away all these social programs. So okay. because you're no longer working for the government, you work for yourself. So um, I'll give you an example. I mean, well, you, know, you know, part of the reason why they know that people have to have a reason to go to work. Have to have you a know? reason. To, I mean, if everything's things. given to you, then all these billion and a half Chinese people won't go to work. So they want them to go to work. They want them to produce. So they take away right. the social programs. They get rid of the social programs. And I'll give you an example in Hong Kong. I mean, this is not China. Um, but there's not even pensions in China. So for the older people, there are pensions from the government. But as you, as a younger generation coming up, there is no pension. Mm -hmm. And now in Hong Kong, if you lose a job, you can go apply for unemployment. But that unemployment only good for six weeks. So I remember when my father lost his job, he said it's not even worth it to go apply. Because it, you mm -hmm. wait forever and you only get six weeks. By the time you get your money... You, you already found another job because you can't afford not to pay your bills, you know. So, so it's a very, a very different way of living. And therefore, right. when this lockdown happens and people can't get, go to work and the factory is shut down, not only impact our supply chain, but ultimately it impacts the livelihood of these people because all the government is giving to people is little rations of food. Mm -hmm. And that has been in a very corrupt because people were delivering the ration of food. They all rotten food and the, right. the good ones be taken by the government workers for themselves. So there's, there, there's a lot of room for corruption when you have this sure. totalitarian distribution channel versus private. A anytime channel. you don't have accountability of government officials, people with power, you're going to have that. I mean, I'll give the good food to my friends and relatives. And if I, if I don't like you, I don't like the way you cut your grass, you're, you're not getting good food. <laughs> yeah. And, and so. I want people to also understand 
when we had our lockdown in um, Pennsylvania here, you know, we we are not confined to our house. And even if we were confined to our houses, most people have a little piece of yard they can go out to and hang yeah. out and be with their neighbors. That's not how it works in China. You know, everybody yeah. lives in these 900 square feet apartment. They're like ants. And, right, and they get, lock it down and they have people they at the door. Down. You can't go in. You can't go out if they don't let you. So Right. Yep. Okay. Um, let's talk about inflation. Just, yes. you know, we kind of jumped around, but, um, inflation is when, uh, we know it is when prices go up, things are more expensive, but what they, what's really kind of happening is the value of the currency is less. Mm -hmm. So the money you're earning, the money that you have, you know, prior to inflation doesn't buy as much as it did later on. And this is really uh, high inflation is really bad for an economy. Um, you know, look at Venezuela. You, I mean, that's where Nazi Germany came from. You know, they, they invoked emergency powers because of the horrible inflation. So the United States has created the Federal Reserve to try and control this. I mean, so a growing economy is good. When an economy is growing, more jobs and more demand and, you know, salaries increase, things like that. But if it's growing too fast and the demand begins to exceed the supply, then you get inflation. Or if something interrupts the supply, like a global shutdown during COVID, uh, and then followed by people not wanting to work, uh, you know, the workforce being dramatically reduced. Uh, so if you reduce supply or increase demand too much, that drives inflation. Uh -huh. So the Fed has – the Federal Reserve controls uh, – Basically, they try to control the money supply with interest rates. I mean, the banks have to follow Federal Reserve rules. And if the, if the Fed wants to reduce the amount of money in circulation, um, which will raise the value of that money, it'll slow down the economy. Uh -huh. They force the banks to buy securities. So they basically take the cash away from the bank and they give them uh, treasury uh, securities. They raise interest rates. So the banks have to maintain a, a certain percentage of their outstanding deposits has to be maintained in cash. So if people want their money, they can get it to prevent the run on the banks that we saw in the past and things. So if a bank is loaning too much money and they start to they don't have enough reserve, they need to borrow that from somebody. They'll borrow from banks that have extra reserve. That's this overnight lending rate. Banks are loaning each other money. And the third thing they have is the Federal Reserve. Banks actually have money on deposit with the Federal Reserve. And uh, you know, they'll they'll give them money for reduced rate. So by raising interest rates, they you know, it makes it more expensive to do business. It slows down the economy. It takes money out of circulation, and it tends to raise the value of the dollar. So, simple like housing. I mean, interest rates for mortgages have been down to like one percent for a long, long time. Now they're really going up seven, eight percent. That translates to a much higher monthly mortgage. So that slows down. Uh, home buying, and it's it's actually reducing the value of homes. So that's the same effect that it you know Federal Reserve tries to have on business. They'll even they'll even push you right to the brink and even into a mild recession if necessary in order to stop inflation. So we always talk about recessions are sort of the worst thing that can happen, but out of control inflation is actually worse. Well, here's the problem to with today's. Our inflation could have been avoided if we were just start drilling our own oil and start bringing the manufacturing back. And that's what the previous administration were doing. We didn't have to have this inflation. So this inflation has nothing to do with the growing economy. Right. I understand when you raise interest rate to slow down the economy, we don't have a growing economy. We no. have a slow down economy and we have a high interest rate. This two combination is disastrous. Yeah. So yeah, we have a supply problem. We have a supply problem. So the 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 fact that the the reserve is raising interest rate now to fight inflation 
it's little oxymoron to me because where is the growing economy? Just because the supply is the supply is short of demand, demands higher than supply because we don't have a supply chain. Our gas price is high. That's created. We don't have to have a high gas price. And that kind right. of slows down everything. And and then nothing is – I just heard a news the other day, which I would just – I mean, you're research. right. It's kind of a scary situation because it's it not because the economy situation. is overheated and we're growing too fast. It's because we had a drastic interruption in our supply. Right. So this is not the time to raise interest rate, as a matter of fact. So I don't understand – why the monetary policy is to raise interest rate to fight this disinflation has nothing to do with the growing economy. As a matter of fact, people's money worth less. So let's just say in a growing economy like the previous administration, right? Even though there was no talk about setting a federal to increase a federal minimum wage, but market was competing for labor. So organically, they raised the hourly rate on the bottom right. line supply workers. and demand supply and demand on the labor market but what's nice is when you were when you went from making ten dollars an hour to 15 an hour now there's an actual growth in your money because you can still go to store you can pay two dollars for a gallon of gas so the 15 the the increase in your salary meant something but mm -hmm. now, even with 15 and 18 and some people making 19, they said they're not able to buy as many things. Right. Now, what happened to the people that are retired? They're on a fixed income. Yep. Yeah, it's, it hurts them the most. It, that's why I thought it was so interesting to me when um, towards the end of the uh, you know campaign and the midterm Democrats said, oh, the, the Republican want to kill Social Security and want to kill this. What happened to uh, majority of the, I think majority of the retirees, such like somebody like your age, they probably have their 401k and their Social Security coming in, but those are all on a fixed term. But yet your 401k for a lot of people has took taking a nosedive. Mm -hmm. They're worth half than what they used to be. So how is that benefiting retirees? Well, let me ask another question. How does the Inflation Reduction Act reduce inflation? They already told you it's not going to once it <laughs> Who told you? No, the, the, uh, the Congressional the, Budget Office, everyone that's looked at it, it's, it's not. The White House, after they passed the Government spending will not reduce inflation. Government spending actually helps inflation, right? It, it Usually government it, yeah. spend, when we have a slow economy, that's when government will pour money into the economy trying to buy it up goods to right. help drive up the prices. That's in a slowdown economy. So we have three trifactors here. We have a supply issue. We have government throwing money into the economy. And we have people raising interest rates. This is not a good combination. This is actually a very dangerous combination. Um, not to mention, we owe a billion dollars to China. And we're empty our oil reserves selling to China. It's mm -hmm. not helping our people. I don't understand why we're selling oil to China. Yeah. Out I of our reserve. Either. That's a national security issue. Mm -hmm. So the Interation Reduction Act rate. Uh, creates a 15% minimum corporate tax on companies with a billion dollars or more of earnings. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I I don't know how that helps inflation, but, uh, you know, how does that help increase supply? The um, So basically what that means, the way the tax code was written, um, you know, they say that these evil companies aren't paying their fair share. But the reason it is, is the government has a tax code and they put things in place to incentivize the company to do things that help the economy and help society. So R&D tax credits and things like that. That's how they reduce their tax burden, by spending their money in a way that the government has decided is beneficial to the economy and, and to society And they can hire more people. So what you're right. just so saying So they've taken that away and yeah. said, you know, tax accounting goes out the window. We're going to look at your, um, you know, book 
accounting, and whatever uh, earnings you report to your shareholders, your tax has to be at least 15% of that. So whichever is higher, the old way or the new way, you pay the higher of the of the two. So Amazon just laid off 10,000 people. Facebook laid right. off 11,000 people. Um you know, then the corporation will always figure out a way to go around the tax code. What they're going to do is they're going to reduce their workforce. They're going to have no, they're, they're not incentivized to make more money then. They can keep their right. cap under a certain amount to pay least amount of taxes possible. How is that benefiting the economy? When you're mm-hmm. laying off 10,000 people, where are they going? I mean, they say it's only going to affect less than 150 companies, but Amazon probably would be one of them. And that's they already a good laid off 10,000 so, people. So 150 companies, the largest corporation in the United States, that employs probably hundreds of thousands of people. That that hundreds of thousands of people pays their taxes. I don't understand why. In they talk about corporation as if this is one individual. Corporation com- has uh, tons and tons of people. They're employed, and the corporation right. pays for health care. Corporation matches your four hundred one k. They pay employment taxes. They pay sales taxes. I mean, corporation is not this one person. Corporation no. is, you know. Well, and you, and you made a great point. Most of these companies are public companies where there's a lot of four hundred one k money and things in there, and you know when their earnings go down, their stock price drops. Right. It's a ratio of earnings per share. Right. And um, yeah, it's. 150 companies, imagine if every company lay out 10,000 people, 150, you know, let me just do a quick calculation, times 10,000. That's 1.5 million people potentially mm-hmm. could be laid off. <laughs> yeah. And that's not going to help. <laughs> no. No. So, There's another I mean, it has, prescrip- it has prescription drug price reform. I guess basically Medicare can negotiate prices now and there's a cap on out of pocket. I don't see how that helps inflation, but you know, mm-hmm. um, tax, they've increased the IRS. Um, IRS claims they haven't had enough people to enforce and make sure they're collecting all the taxes. So they, uh, $80 billion go to the IRS to in, and they, they're increasing the number of agents. It's not replacement. Um, Eighty-seven thousand, no, and that was something um, Kevin McCarthy said. That's the first thing they are going to vote on to get rid of. Well, because that, how, I that just have a question: How does that price. help inflation? How does that reduce inflation? It doesn't. It just Affordable um, Care Act. So the Affordable Care Act subsidies, where people have, you know, people have low income, the government subsidizes their health care through the Affordable Care Act. That was set to expire. Um, and they're, they they extended that through 2025. So, I mean, you can look at these things and say, okay, that that's the right thing to do. But it, none of it's going to reduce inflation. And the last one is energy security and climate change investments. So, hey, I'm all for tax incentives. You know, you know if you want me to buy a you know solar panel, then give me a tax break on it. But, you know, you're, you've just told me that raising the tax revenue through the corporate income tax and IRS enforcement – is going to help the uh, inflation, but now you're giving me tax breaks. So I, I personally think it should be illegal to name something that has a bill, something that has nothing to do with what's in the bill. I mean, there's well, no inflation reduction in the Inflation Reduction Act, none. I think it will be Inflation Reduction Act if there's incentive for they will restore all the drilling Restore Keystone Pipeline, start increasing, increasing our refinery permits right. because we don't have refinery. That's why we have diesel shortage. This has been going yep. on for years and years. They're slowly reducing our refinery. And we need to bring our manufacturer back. Oh, you know, especially critical manufacturing. I mean, medicine, that's something we should know but because of the pandemic is the country should be able to stand on its own two feet if the rest of the world decides to lock down because of a pandemic. And we need Absolutely. to revisit our pandemic procedures and never do what China did. The whole world followed China and we're not China. We can't do that. 
That's not that's no. not that doesn't work here. It doesn't work. And China have one and a half billion people and China can stand on their own two feet because while we're fighting wars all over the world, China spent two decades investing in Africa. And mm-hmm. they own a lot of farmlands in Africa, and so they have a, now they have an outside food supply besides China themselves. So if China, right. if the rest of the world falls apart, China can stand on their own two feet. Mm-hmm. But um, give you an example, we are just a few days ago. I saw a headline. We have because the RSV, COVID, and influenza is overwhelming the hospitals. Now we have an antibiotic shortage, antiviral right. shortage to treat patients. Um, you know, we are a, we're United States, America. We are not a third world country. And where do all our antibiotic antiviral being manufactured? China and India. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like we're a Caribbean island, you know, cause we need other people to, to keep us going. We can't produce everything that we need. Right. And wow. I think the, if they will call this inflation reduction act, it's bringing them, giving people tax incentive to open up critical manufacturing in the United right. States. That would, you will immediately have a stock market bull market. You will see all the investment coming into the United States. I've never heard that increasing tax burden to corporation or to business will help to grow the economy. All you do is reduce right. the economy and because there's no incentive to make as much money as you can or growing your business. There's no incentive of that. Yeah. And that's what drives an economy, that incentive. Yeah. So I, I want to address, Go I'd like to address, you know, when people, when we talk about Biden increasing oil prices, because people will defend that and say, well, he can't control that. It's a global commodity. And shutting down the pipeline didn't do anything because it wasn't going to be online for such and such a time. But what, what those things miss is commodity prices are based on what's going to happen in the future, right. just like stocks. Okay. Yes, the, the, the today affects it, but it's really you're investing in what the future growth of that company is going to be. And the same with a commodity. So the the reason fuel prices increased before Russia invaded Ukraine is be, and it went worse when Russia invaded, obviously, was because of Biden, basically his rhetoric, shutting down the pipeline and the different things that he did. That sends a message to the global commodities market that the United States is reducing their supply. They've, they're no longer committed to producing as much energy as they can, and that's going to raise commodity prices. That That's how it works. That's how it um, works. You yeah. know, you can't tell me the day that uh, Ukraine or Russia invaded Ukraine that the, the supply of oil completely collapsed. It didn't, but it, it signaled that that's going to be a problem. So it's the future that drives commodity prices. And, you know, the, the, the policies that you put in place, you're not going to produ- if you're not going to be a, a country committed to producing as much energy as you possible, you're driving up energy prices. And that's what he did. We went from being a, you know, net energy exporter, uh, energy independent United States for the first time in history, which that signals to the world and the global market. Hey, you know, it drives prices down. Um, as soon as Biden comes in and starts undoing a lot of that, prices go up and then they go up again when Russia invo- invades Ukraine. Well, this whole climate change thing, I have to say. So if we're going to depend on solar and wind, right? And I know you just put solar panel, uh, purchase all, but we live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. How many right. sunny days do we have? I mean, solar probably work well in California and Hawaii. And what about wind? I mean, how often do we have strong wind in this area? Now, if you go to Oklahoma and Texas, and but one tornado can uproot all those windmills. You know, so um, it is, it's not practical to say, and climate has been changing for millions and millions of years. Yep. Notice they went from global warming to climate change. Climate always going to change. We can't right. control it. <laughs> no, in the 70s, they were warning us of the coming ice age. So Right. I remember, I, I've heard of that. Ice age, global warming, now climate change. Climate change just encompasses everything. 
You know, it's just like COVID. I mean, the problem with environmental policy, they say science, science, science. It's not science, okay? You can't put in government, you can't do policies that affect human rights and things without considering ethics and law. And the same with uh, uh, environmental science, okay? Environmental science just tells you what might happen, okay? That doesn't dictate financial policies and things like that. What, what we, we, it's not an either or. You can't shut down fossil fuels and jump over to, you know, renewable energy. As you just said, it won't work. But no. what you have to do is allow the renewable energy, electric cars, solar, allow that to kind of take off and, and grow like any other industry would. And when it makes sense, it'll start to displace. And if, if uh, fossil fuel supplies become a problem, then their prices will go up and that'll that'll help fuel more. So you just naturally start to transition over. That's how it's supposed to be. That's how well, what um, technology a changes. What charges a battery for the for Tesla? Oh well coal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean right. coal fired energy, yeah. And, so, and you know what? The, this whole big thing of pushing electric cars is really benefiting China, right? Because there's certain mineral you need to put these batteries together. Right. The yep. solar panel, the push of the solar panel, the push, it's all benefiting China. So that's these, what I'm saying. It's These are all, all these limitations and problems with those uh, sources of energy are the reasons why you don't want to jump in all at once. But it doesn't mean you don't pursue them. I mean, right. you do. You pursue them. Well, I know we are. But, I mean, that doesn't get votes. If somebody says, "Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, uh, incentivize solar, and we're gonna try to do things, but we're also gonna, you know, continue to develop as or produce as much energy as we can through fossil fuels," nobody votes on that. You know, because majority of the voters in the United States, they just don't want to look deeper into the issue. It's almost no. like. If you're in the Democratic Party, you think my party is good and I don't want to look into anything. You know, if I'm in the Republican Party, the Republican Party is good and I don't want to look into anything. So nobody right. really looking deep down the problem and analyzing what is good, what is actually good for me. I mean, people right. has to get into that. And um, I know it's about now but you something you can, you just said, it triggered me to think of something you were saying that. We'll do, we're, we're jumping from natural energy to renewable energy and not understanding um, what the consequences and what the results is. I just the want to... Right, and it, it, that translates into cost. So everything you try to do, there's a cost to it. So how, how fast and the things we do on the renewable side should be cost weighed? What's the benefit versus the cost and the risks and things like that? That's how, every, that's how life works. Remember Sorry, the, the solar company when uh, Obama was in office, what it calls Solandro? Solyndra. Solyndra. That was $50 billion disappear in the thin air. Yeah. Um, yep. And nobody investigated. Nobody know where that money went. It just, the company just disappeared. Right. Um, I'm totally against that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Tax credits, fine. Give consumers tax credits for solar. That That's great. Buy elect you want them to buy electric cars, give them a tax credit. I'm all for that. But, you know, taking government money and saying we're gonna invest in a company and we're gonna we're gonna basically manipulate everything. No, I, I'm not I, I don't agree with that. That's not government's job. Well, that's kind of what happened. I wanna just say this. This is a little bit unrelated to the inflation, but I wanna talk about um that's basically what happened with the vaccine, right? Yeah, we're throwing money in Pfizer and Moderna and deciding which vaccine is better rather than let the market dictate. They pull mm -hmm. the Johnson and Johnson off the market completely. And that's actually a traditional vaccine that used adiovirus um, instead of the new mRNA technology. But maybe next time we can talk about it is that okay. there's a do documentary on it's called Die Suddenly. It's 20 trending pretty much on Twitter and um, Rumble. Um, yeah. I think a few days ago, 7 million people watched it. Um, but there are some footage are, be are being debunked. So right. they've used some footage that's actually not true. Those people did not die. There's probably various other reasons. Um, 
But again, like you said the last time, we don't have the other side come in and explain it at all. You right. know, this this die suddenly documentary is widespread, and by the by next week come along, um, it's probably going to be twenty million people watch it. But you don't yeah. see the government come out and say, "Look, break it down and explain to the public what's happening." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that'd be a great topic. I've watched part of it. Not, I, I still uh, maybe a half hour. I, I still have more to go. Okay. All right. Well, next hey, let me week, recap have... real quick since I prepared it. Recap real quick the railroad issue. Okay. okay? Go so ahead. apparently this has been going on for a couple of years, and it's you know the the. They basically offered the railroad workers a 24% pay increase, but the outstanding issue, four out of the 12 unions, and they they uh, represent the majority of the railroad workers, their mm-hmm. problem is how personal sick time is used. So right now, the paid vacation is three weeks on average, five weeks for more senior people, and they have 14 days of year combination holidays personal time. But what's been happening since the pandemic, the workers are on call, okay? There's a huge demand in the railroad industry to move product because of the disruption that we had. So workers get a call. They need to report to work within 90 minutes to two hours. They call them. They don't know when they're going to work. They call them up and say, you need to be here. Um, so what the workers are saying is this is creating too much of a hardship. I I can't schedule a doctor's appointment. Um, if I do, then I have to cancel it. And, you know, one guy died of a heart attack. They claim if he had made his doctor's appointment, he might not have died. But the way the, the, way the one company, and I guess they're all doing it, but BSNF has a points attendance policy. So you get 30 points. Okay, so every time you don't report with this 90 minute to two hour notice, you lose five to 25 points, depending on what day it is, a holiday or a weekend, you lose more points than you would on a day that it's easier to get people. Okay, so they value the days. Um, If you hit zero points, you get a 10 day suspension. After your 10 day suspension, you get 15 points added. If you hit zero again, you get 20 day suspension and third time you can get fired. So they're saying this is too harsh, too strict, and you know we, we we need we we need to get rid of this. We need to give people the ability to, you know, take off if they get sick or if they need to go to a doctor. Um, and I see the sick point. I mean, the doctor va- visits if they have a lot of vacation and personal time, they could schedule that. But uh, so apparently, if you have an approved vacation, you're off call. You don't get called. So you huh. can use your vacation time. The problem is if somebody just gets sick and they get called, they have to go to work or they're in a, in a process where they could lose their job. That's what they want. Okay. Well, that was very detailed. Thank you for that. Um, but, real uh, quick, a couple quick things I just wanted to say. Uh, Virginia Representative Donald McAking has passed away. So there's going to be a special election, and he is a Democrat. He passed away fighting a uh, colon cancer, I believe. And this is okay. an interesting headline. I just, uh, my friend sent it to me this morning. Um, you know that um, by, in the Biden administration, there's a there's a person named Sam Brit- Brinton. He is a deputy assistant secretary for spend fuel and waste disposition at the Department of Energy. He is a non-binary, he's a non-binary, and he is charged stealing a women's luggage at the airport. Uh, Apparently, it's a very brawly luggage that is worth about $2,300. I thought that was funny. Yeah, so we're (laughs) going to put that on. um, It's a New York Post that just came in this morning. And... um, Next time we're going to talk about, I guess, Pennsylvania Department of Education is having this culturally relevant and sustaining education uh, program framework and guidelines. So hopefully okay. we can get um, this girl come on. She runs a, a EF Parents uh, Facebook page. And we want to, we, we, we're going to do some dig, digging to this and then maybe hopefully have a special guest come on that can give us a little bit more insight to that. But 
Um, next week, I'm very excited. We have a special guest coming on, Bob. It's uh, Jason Ritchie. He will be right. our special guest next week. Okay. And Jason was in the primary for the Pennsylvania governor election. Uh, yes. He dropped out before the primary. No, right? he dropped out after the primary. After the primary. Okay. No, wait. No. You're right. He dropped out before the primary. Um, right. He dropped out right after the signature collection. Okay. Yeah, he dropped out right after the signature collection. And then he was the only candidate for governor in Western PA. And that has changed once Melissa Hart put her head in. And uh, you remember we had 10, Republican had 10 governor candidates. Yeah. Each one of them have to collect, uh, I believe, 2,000 signatures. Okay. And then so when the signature collection, the, the petition was done, all 10 of them made the cut. So at that point, Jason decided to uh, drop out. And um, it'll be interesting to talk to him about his decision. I know a lot of people in Western PA was very disappointed that he dropped out. And mm -hmm. that would give him a chance to kind of talk to our audience about why he did that. And, you know, what is his future like? Okay, very good. All right. This has been great. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Sherry.